Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, January 28th. It is a cold day in North Texas. I assume it's cold everywhere. It's a good day to be inside. Good day to be wearing a sweater. Maybe a good day to have soup for lunch. Hope you're warm wherever you may be, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, excited for today, we are talking about the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, time where we look at Jesus as a teacher, more than just a healer or savior. Jesus is teaching in this moment, but he starts with the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes isn't really a lesson so much as it's promises. It's promises and it's it's comforting words from Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Words that I think that we need to hear often. I think the Beatitudes are a beautiful gift that God has given us and something uh, something that we should look at often and something we should, you know, remind ourselves of uh, these promises because at times they all speak to us. And so the Beatitudes are something important, something that we all need to know, something that we all need to hear uh, so that we can so that we can understand the promises of God and be comforted by them. Okay, so we are in Matthew chapter 5, and we start with verse 3. In verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, just a little background that all of these are going to start with blessed are. Other translations say happy are. Uh, the, the ancient Greek word, the, the the translation for it behind, it could be blessed or it could be happy. Uh, I think the idea behind the word blessed is that it, it the word blessed means joyful, that we are, we've, the feeling of bless, being blessed is joyful. It's a joyful feeling, right? Uh, and it's joy that is independent of all the changes of life. That's what William Barclay says. It's, it's joy that can't be taken away. It's joy that no matter what, no matter what is going to happen in the world, it's joy that can't be taken away. It's a sense of being blessed, right? That I have God, that I am blessed, and that I have everything I need. And so it's joy that's not going to leave. So this is the joy that Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Joyful are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? Who are the poor in spirit? Who are the poor in spirit? It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, for those of you live, I'm sure you've heard sermons on this before. Who do you think the poor in spirit is? Who, who have you been told that the poor in spirit are. I mean, it's one of those things that I think is kind of open to interpretation. Uh, we think, blessed are the poor in spirit. Are we talking about the poor? I mean, I, I've met several poor people around the world, right? And and <laughs> they have, many of them have a joy about them that, you know, I wish I could have, right? A joy that they have everything that they need, but the world says that they're poor, right? So what does poor in spirit mean? For me, I, I think it means someone who is at the end of their rope, right? Or someone who's on that way, things aren't going their way, and they start to see the world as being against them. They start to see life as a challenge, and and their faith isn't helping, and everything is just falling apart. And, you know, they don't, they don't have a positive outlook on what's happening next. They don't have any kind of hope. They don't have any kind of hope. And so they just go through life trying to survive one day at a time, and they don't have any hope that tomorrow is going to be better. And as D says, maybe people who have given up, people who have given up or people who are on the way to giving up, right? The people who are going through a really tough patch and cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. To me, that's the poor in spirit. And that's who Jesus starts with. That's who Jesus starts with. Jesus starts with the people who are having the most difficult time in life and says, 
Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First and foremost, I came for those who have been cast aside by the world. I came for those who have no hope. I came for those who are not loved. I came for those who are struggling each and every day. There's the kingdom of heaven. That's good news. That's good news because we all, we, we might have all been there before and we all know people who are there right now. And they say, what can you say to me to make things better? Well, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't exactly know how God's going to do it or what God's going to do, but I know that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think we all know people who are poor in spirit, who have been poor in spirit. I'm sure we've all been poor in spirit, going through difficult times, can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I find it fascinating that that's where Jesus starts. That's where Jesus starts the Beatitudes with, for those who are poor in spirit. Because if we look through the Gospels, we see Jesus encountering again and again people who are poor in spirit and Jesus proclaiming good news to them. It's, it's only the people who are rich in spirit, right? The, the ones who think too highly of themselves. The ones who, who are so religious and so righteous that they, they use their religion and righteousness to uh, look down on others that Jesus, Jesus has a problem with. I, I find this just incredibly powerful and incredibly good, good news. Verse 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, what does it mean to mourn? I think there's two kinds of mourning. There's two, two kinds of mourning. I think first is the obvious one, the loss of a loved one, right? The loss of somebody, the loss of something. We lose something and there's a great deal of sadness that comes with that. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, when we lose someone, when we lose someone who we love, how will we be comforted? Well, we are comforted by the promise of eternal life. We are comforted by the promise that when, when, when it's our turn, when it's our turn to, to perish, that we will be reunited with our loved ones in heaven, that there is, no, there is no final death for the people of God, right? That death is a transition to life eternal, and death, our death is a transition to life eternal. And so we are comforted by the promise that though they aren't with us now, we will be with them again. Okay, so that's the first kind of mourning. I think the second kind of mourning uh, is, is one that we don't talk about very often, but it's just as true. The realization of sinfulness. On Tuesday, we talked about the law, the beautiful law, the law that helps us to understand, uh, that helps our society to have order. It helps us to understand who we are, and it helps guide us through life. And so this realization of our sinfulness, when, when the law is a mirror for us, and you know the second Luther's second use of the law, and we see ourselves for who we really are, and we see how how short we come when when we measure ourselves up against God's perfect standard for humanity. There there is some kind of godly sorrow that comes with that. This 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 peace of mind, or the, this realization that we are not good enough and that the life we lived is self-centered and it's not the way God wants it and there's better things that we could work for and there's a better way to live. And, and so there's kind of mourning in that, in the mistakes that we make. Have you ever made a mistake and it's led to mourning? I think all of us have. It's like, oh man, I, I did something, I did something wrong and it's, it's 
wrecked a relationship or whatever and you just kind of grieve your mistakes, right? We mourn our mistakes. We mourn our sins. We mourn the ways in which we hurt others. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Those who mourn over their sin and their sinful condition are promised comfort. Jesus promises to comfort sin and sinners. If we look, if we look throughout the gospels, Jesus encounters sinners. He encounters the woman caught in adultery who's about to be stoned. And everyone says, uh, Jesus, we're ready to throw stones. And Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, all the stones drop to the ground and everyone walks away. And Jesus goes to her and says, where, where are those who were going to condemn you? And she says, well, they left. And he said, well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. This, you know, that, that your sin does not define you. Your mistakes do not define you, right? Blessed are those who are comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for their mistakes. Jesus says, they will not define you. You are more than your mistakes. You are not identified simply by your mistakes. And I wonder, do we ever allow that kind of grief to guide us? Do we ever learn from that? Do we ever learn from the mistakes we make, the mistakes that, 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 that haunt us, the mistakes that give us reason to have grief, right? Do we learn from that? And do we say, well, I'm never going to make that mistake again? Uh, I, I, I would hope so. Okay. Verse five, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I remember watching uh, several years ago, I'm, 10 years ago, maybe, I was watching The Celebrity Apprentice on TV, and uh, George Takei was on there, and uh, I think one of the guys from, one of the guys who builds motorcycles, and and one of, one of the guys who builds motorcycles called George, George Takei Meek, and it was a big deal. It was a big insult to George Takei that he would be called Meek. What does it mean to be Meek? What have we, what have we made that word to be? Is it weak? Because meek and weak sound alike. And because weak, you can kind of say, well, I don't see meek as being weak. I see it as having a, a controlled personality, a sense of humility, right? I think meekness is humility. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. When we hear the word meek, we don't in our society take that as a positive, in the Celebrity Apprentice, it was a big negative and people had big problems with it. And how dare you call me meek, right? But when we hear the word meek, I think, I think we as Christians should hear that in a positive light. I think we, that, that there is a type of, of, of faithful humility that comes along with life. And in our humility, Jesus says, you will inherit the earth. You will inherit the earth, meaning that all will be yours, for those who are humble. The thing about humility is that humility says, I am not going to go out and take what is mine. I don't think I deserve more than all that I have, right? And Jesus says, you, you will inherit the earth. Powerful and comforting words for Jesus because it takes the social structure of the world and flips it upside down and flips it. It, it, it says, these are the things that God values. These are not the things that the world values. The world does not value humility. But God does. But God does. And I think it's important that we hear that. Okay, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Bruce Springsteen said, everybody's got a hungry heart. 
Everybody's got a hungry. And anyway, there you go. You know what? I just sang. I can't believe I just did that. Okay. Everybody's got a hungry heart. What, what are you hungering for? What are each of you hungering for? What do we hunger for in life? I would say the most common answers to that, what are we hungering for, are power, authority, success, comfort, happiness, wealth, fame, all kinds of, I mean, this is, this is the American dream, right? Hungering for these things. Hungering for power and authority. Hungering for places in your company or in life where you have control, right? Success, financial wealth, comfort. I mean, that's what success buys, right? Comfort, right? Uh, security, happiness, fame even. Some people are hungering for fame. But how many hunger and thirst for righteousness? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. But basically says, the, the, the one goal that I have in life, right? That one thing that I want to achieve is righteousness versus wealth versus security versus, you know, whatever it may be. Freedom, you know, financial freedom, righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? What does that mean? I think what this means is that our lives and our world are in tune with God's desires, I hunger and thirst for my life and the world that we live in to be in tune with God's plan for humanity. That's what I want. That's what I want more than anything. I mean, I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who want nothing more than for the world and their lives to be a reflection of God's plan for humanity. Which means we, we would see a world where there were no, you know, there's no more greed and there's no more racial injustice and there's no more all this stuff that we see that we don't like. All that's gone, right? Because that's not God's plan for humanity. And we would see more love and we would see more grace and we would see more peace. And, you know, we would see a beautiful society, a life that, a life in a community where we just enjoy each other's company and, and relationships would, would grow and people would get to know one another on a deeper level and we would be there for one another when we need help and there, it would just be a beautiful, a beautiful sight. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Jesus promises that those who want that, who hunger for that, will be filled with as much as they could eat with all that they want, with all that they want. Uh, I think that's a, you know, another promise that Jesus makes. And I don't know if that promise is going to be, you know, the, that, that promise is, is the eternal promise, right? That if we hunger and thirst for a life where things are the way that they ought to be, God says, well, I, it's going to be that way for all of eternity. And we see God working in our communities to, to try and make life that way now. Specifically, I mean, when we just look at a church community, our church community have these powerful, deep, meaningful relationships, right? But it's not a, an, a perfect reflection of God's will or desire because sin is a part of life. Uh, but, but I think it's something that we, we can work for. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Biblically, who is merciful? The Bible talks about people being merciful in three ways. Okay, who is merciful? The merciful one will show it to those who are weaker, and poor. So, so helping those who are, have less, you know, less than you, you are showing them mercy biblically. Uh, the merciful one always looks for those who weep and mourn. 
So you find somebody who is weeping, you find somebody who is grieving, you find somebody who is, and you, you are there for them to support them. You are showing mercy. The merciful one forgives others and looks to restore broken relationships. So forgiveness and restoring broken relationships is a way of showing mercy. So helping those who are weaker or poor, helping those, supporting those in the midst of their grief and forgiving people for their mistakes and looking to restore relationships biblically says you are doing an act of mercy. Blessed are those who do those things for they will be shown mercy. For they will be shown mercy. Now this doesn't say that those who don't, uh, or that, uh, this doesn't say that only the merciful will receive mercy, right? That's the promise we have is that we all receive God's mercy. Uh, but it's it does say that you know if you if you show mercy in life, you will be aware of the mercy that God has shown you, and and it will you know you you will have a life of of help, a life of support, a life of forgiveness. Um, and so we we know that God is there to help us, that God is our helper, right? That God has forgiven us. We know that God supports us, uh, you know. And, and so we've all been shown this mercy by God, but but we are called to show that to others. Verse eight: Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, in ancient Greek, the phrase "pure of heart" has the idea of straightness. Honesty, clarity, right? This idea that that we are at peace with who we are. We're honest with ourselves. We're at peace with who we are. And because of that, we are honest with others and we are honest in our life. And we're, you know, we, we, we take the straight path. We're not going to veer off and in, into sin, you know, and so we're going to do the best we can. We're going to do the best we can uh, and try the best. And we're going to be people who, um, you know, who are not going to be, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, who are not going to be influenced by the world in such a way that we are going to stray from the path, right? That we are going to be as, as pure as possible, do as much as can uh, to be honest and straight, straightforward. Um, and, and so Jesus says that those people, the pure of heart, will enjoy intimacy with God. They will see God. They will see God in the world. Those who are not pure of heart, those who have other, other desires and those who are going to stray and do other things, well, they're not going to see God because they're not going to be paying attention. They're not going to be interested in seeing God. They're going to be interested in other things. They're going to be interested in gaining influence. They're going to be interested in gaining wealth. They're going to be interested in whatever it is that draws them off the path of God. But those who are pure of heart will see God. They will see God working. They will see God in their lives. They will see God all around. I think one of the important questions for each of us to ask is, where do we see God? Where do we see God working in the world? Do we see God working in the world? I do. I see God working in the world all the time. It's a, uh, George Strait wrote a song, or I don't know if he wrote it, but uh, I saw God today, right? I saw God today in, in a flower growing through a sidewalk. I saw God today in the birth of my child. I saw God today in a couple who loves one another. You know, but we had this conversation at our, on our Bible study Tuesday night, you know, is all good in the world of God. Well, well, I, my answer is, you know, if, if people who don't believe in God, who say two atheists who show love and compassion for a neighbor or, you know, this, the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, anybody who shows love for their neighbor, anybody who shows love, anybody who shows love, period, to me is doing the work of God because God is love. And they may not even realize it. 
Most people, I would say, don't even realize it. Whenever you show love towards your neighbor, you are doing the work of God. You don't have to be a believer to know that or to do that. So where do I see God? I see God in love. I see God uh, all over the world, right? Uh, where people are, are giving of themselves and sacrificing themselves to help others. I mean, that's all, you know, Mr. Rogers would say, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers, and there you will see a reason to have hope. So, uh, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Uh, you know, this refers to people who work for peace, to bring about peace, overcoming evil with good. Um, they are recognized as children of God. The greatest title you can have right? Child of God. So those who work for peace work to uh, reconcile relationships, to bring people together, right? To, to say, uh, you know, enough conflict. Let's be at peace with one another. Let's, let's, let's be reconciled to one another. And the work of doing that is called, means you'll be called a child of God. And I think what's important is that we look at our baptism. In, in our baptism, right? When the water is placed on our forehead and the sign of the cross is made, it says, you know, you are now a child of God. And we say, well, how did that happen? I haven't done anything. Well, because on the cross, Jesus was the greatest peacemaker the world has ever seen. We have been reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And because of the gift that Jesus gave, we are all now called children of God. But when we are working for peace in the world, others will see us as children of God. Hopefully. If not, it doesn't matter. We are doing that because that is what we are called and created to do by God. And so, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And I have to say, now is a good time to be a peacemaker. Now is a hard time to be a peacemaker, but the world needs peacemakers. The world needs peacemakers now more than ever. So, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. These blessed ones are persecuted for righteousness' sake, not for their own agenda. A lot of people are persecuted for their own agenda, and they think, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad I'm being persecuted. It shows I'm doing what is right. No, not necessarily. Blessed are the ones who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are the ones who are persecuted for God's agenda. Blessed are the ones who, who are uh, insulted because they are doing the work of God. Instead of blessed are the ones who are insulted because I'm going my own way and doing my own thing. And if you don't like it, whatever. Rejoice and be glad. We could literally translate this to say, leap for joy. Be so excited when you are doing the work of God, when you are working for the sake of the kingdom, for God's righteousness, and you are persecuted. Leap for joy. That is good news. That is great news. So the question I ask is, if no one is speaking evil of us, do we need to try harder to be righteous? Should, should we have people speaking evil and persecuting us? And if not, are we not doing it right? Just something to think about. So 
those are the Beatitudes, uh, verses 3 through 12, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Comforting words. Comforting words because I think it speaks to all of us. I think that we can probably find ourselves somewhere in the Beatitudes right now. There is something in here that could comfort us right now, each and every one of us. And so it's something that we should return to often. So let's close with prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your comforting words. We thank you for being with us and for being our friend. We thank you for helping us through the difficult times of life, for showing us mercy and for giving us hope. Uh, we pray that you would be with everyone in this world who who isn't feeling very well right now, for the poor in spirit, for those who are mourning, for those who are grieving, for those who do not have enough to eat. And we pray that our world would become a better reflection of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, you have a wonderful day. Take good care of yourselves, and I will see you next Tuesday.